something I, uh, I've discovered recently is that the art of letter writing is dead. It's very, very sad time that we live in, where even, even myself, I'm, I'm very pleased with about one-sentence emails or a few-phrase texts. Every now and then, uh, my grandmother, um, well, I should say, when she was in better health, my grandmother would take the time to write us letters from from good old southern Missouri, where we would suddenly get a letter in the mail, and it would be pages and pages long, and they would be in, in a, a perfect wording and a nice grammar, to where we could sit there and read it out loud to each other. And, and even now, I still have a box, where every time I get a letter or a card from my grandmother, and when my great-grandmother was alive, it, it holds all of those letters, so that one day, when Esther is older, she can go back and read from the original Obi, the Esther Obi is named after. When I was in graduate school, my uh, roommate, who was full of random ideas all the time, you know, at one point in time he wanted to train for UFC fighting, and he was the same build and size as Marcus, so it wasn't you know like a very skinny fellow. Um, he, he would just come up with these random ideas. And one day, after proclaiming that same pronouncement I made, that the art of letter writing is dead, he decided he was going to go out and he was going to buy nice stationery. So he dropped about $40 on stationery. And then he went and he got the wax to seal it, the nice wax seal. And so he sat down, he went to a coffee shop, and he spent a couple hours writing to every friend he could think of that lived away, trying to be very smart and make a few pronouncements, and took the wax, melted the wax down onto the letter, put the stamp on it, and put it in the mail. And do you know what happened? It got sent back. Because stamps can't make, the wax stamps can't make it through the machines anymore. And so it got sent back to him, and he had to put it in a regular white plain envelope and send it off to his friends. In an effort, he was trying to make something that was so special that they would hang on to it. These letters that maybe would impact their lives in some way or another. But today, it's hard to do that. And every time I read the beginning part of one of these Pauline epistles, these letters written by Paul to a church. And I think I've posed this to you before. I wonder what it would be like to receive a letter from an apostle, to have it written to the saints, to the people at Lamb of God. Or I guess I should say to the church in Seattle. What would it say? How would it begin if it was talking to us? What would be the things that Paul would look at as how he heard about who we are and, and say you're doing very well? And what is it that he would call out as something that needs a little bit of fine-tuning, if you will, in only the way Paul can write? This is actually a good question to ask. And it's not just a good question for the pastor of a church to ask. This is a good question for you to ask. 
that what would it be like? What would the letter state if it was being written to us today? What parts of our ministry, what parts of our daily lives would, would He take notice of? And say, here you are representing Christ. But here, here's a place where you need to trust a bit more. Colossians begins the same way as most of his other books begin. With a very simple and plain greeting, stating himself to be an apostle, someone who actually has the authority to write a pastoral letter. You probably very rarely have received a pastoral letter, but they do get sent out every now and then. Beginning with greetings to you and stating who it is that's writing and the office that they hold. And Paul calls himself to be an apostle, and we know from other parts of Scripture he considers himself to be the least among the apostles. But nonetheless, he is an apostle, someone who has spoken to the Lord and who has been commissioned to begin the church. We have, even today, a creed that we speak called the Apostles' Creed. We know that the apostles did not write the creed. It's called that because it is the teachings that the apostles have taught us about who Jesus is, about who God is and what they have done for us. And so here is an apostle writing to the church of the Colossians, which is far easier to say than Colossia. That was for you. The Colossians were a church that began most likely out of Paul's missionary journey and stay at Ephesus. Paul took what we think to be two to three years in Ephesus, preaching in the hall of Tyrannus, where he would preach for roughly two to three hours, six days a week. These 20-minute sermons are rather comfortable in comparison to that. But after it describes his stay in Ephesus and his preaching for that long, the next verse says, all of Asia heard the gospel. And the Colossians are situated up the river from Ephesus. And most likely, as people would come to Ephesus to do their trading, they'd hear the gospel and it'd go out. And Paul knew who they were. And he knew the status of their church. And so he delivers to them this letter. And this series that we're going to be preaching about through all the way till the end of August is going through every single verse of Colossians. And each week, you're going to be receiving devotions for every day, Monday through Saturday, that's on the topics that we're preaching on, on the text that we're preaching on. So starting Monday, if you get an email from us, you're going to be receiving a devotion each day. If you do not get email, Jim Slater in the back has a nice packet for you to take home and read. So even for those technologically behind or right where you're comfortable at, let me put it that way, <laughs> there is still a printed version for you to take home. Because I want... And Marcus wants for you to consider what is it 
that would be said of Lamb of God today. Paul begins by not just saying who he is, who Timothy is, and who the church is, but he begins by giving them a certain understanding of what it is that they hold in their faith and hold dearly. He says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. He begins by proclaiming to them of the three things that they are known for throughout the church. The first of which is being their faith in Jesus Christ. The second which is the love that they hold for their brothers. And the third is the hope that is being stored up for them in heaven. Faith, love, hope. This is an incredibly important statement that is being made because this is a city that is very much like our own. A city that worships many different gods. Sometimes the god of the environment. Sometimes the god of our success. Sometimes the god of entertainment. Sometimes the God of our money. Sometimes the God of food. That's the Malone one I just stuck in. Sometimes the God of dot, dot, dot. You see, we, just like them, live in a city that worships pagan gods. Though our our gods of today may not necessarily have the beautiful temples that were built then, But they certainly have temples in our hearts, don't they? They certainly have the same way of invading the territory of God as the pagan gods did. And this church, this church of the Colossians, is told that the thing that they are known for in the face of the challenges being given to them by the many gods that come up against them is the faith that they have in Jesus Christ. A faith that is unlike any other. A faith that brings them life where they're at. A faith that lets them know that they too, though they may be sojourners and exiles in a pagan country, and in a pagan city, they are still people of Jesus Christ. A faith that informs who they are and does not let them stand in the wishy-washy sands of modern times, jumping from God to God to God. But rather it is actually a faith that doesn't just speak to the heart now, but actually tells us of what is in store. A faith that we find in Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14, where Paul tells them, That the faith that they hold is the faith in Jesus Christ who brings them the forgiveness of sins that is redemption from a domain of darkness to the kingdom of heaven. This is a faith that saves. Not a faith that builds confidence in just who you think you might be. This is a faith that forgives sins. 
not one that chases after retribution for everything that comes against me. This is a faith that breeds lie, not a faith that ultimately leads to death like all the others. So Lamb of God. Lamb of God in this time and in this place, in a city like ours. I know of your faith in Jesus Christ. It is a faith. It is a faith that speaks to your heart right now. Not developing from within, but transforming as it is poured into us from God. A faith does not keep us only looking straight ahead and seeing the things right in front of us, but a faith that gives us eyes to see all that God has done in our life. A faith. A faith that helps us answer the question that comes to us when we remember that sometimes we are the one. Have you ever been the one who feels as if they bear the weight of their entire life? Have you ever been the one who feels like they bear the weight of their entire family and their entire household? Have you ever been the one who continues to bear the weight of every single action you have done in the past? Have you ever been the one who stood at the side of a graveside, remembering that there was nothing you could do to save the person who lies there now? If you are, if you are any of those people, then you know the importance of these words. You have faith in Jesus Christ. The one who brings the forgiveness of sins and moves you over from a domain of darkness into the kingdom of God. Where you are not the one who bears the weight for your life. Where you are not the one who bears the weight for your family and for your household. Where you are not the one who needs to carry the guilt anymore. Where you are not the one who leaves this place alone. I know of your faith in Jesus Christ and the love that you have for your brothers. It makes all the sense in the world that Paul is the one who writes about love. After all, if any of you have ever been to any wedding ever, you know that Paul is the one who has written 1 Corinthians 13. And after a long talk about what love is, he says, Faith, hope, and love abide of these three, and the greatest of them is what? Love. In fact, if any of you have ever read anything written by Paul, Sooner or later, you will get to the conversation about how important love is. If you've ever opened the book of 1 John, you will learn that we love only because we have first been loved. And if any of you remember the thesis verse of so many of our lives, that it was for the sake of love that Jesus was sent in the first place to this world. So it makes all the sense in the world that we hear about love. 
And that faith, hope, and love are something that come together. But it is not just any simple love that this church has for the world. This is love that is connected to faith and to hope. I cannot tell you how many conversations I have been in in my life where people have started to talk about love. Love being something that maybe is accepting. Love being something that is this. Love maybe being something that is that. But when love, love is spoken to us in the view of faith and hope, we find that love is something so much more than any of the imagination of man can come up with. The love Love of God, love from God, is something that stretches so far and so deep. It takes from us the ability not to forgive, but insists rather that we are the ones who forgive. That we face the monsters in our life, the enemies that we have, and we forgive them. Not because that we hold love ourselves, because that is exactly how God showed love to us. Forgiving us. Forgetting the ways in which we have come against Him. The ways in which we continue to rebel. The ways in which, in fact, we deny our own faith. And He forgives. To practice this kind of love to show this kind of love demands everything that Jesus has done for us. To embody this kind of love. To take seriously these words means we cannot rely on our own strength, but trust in the promises of God that He will enable us to do just this. Whenever I go through premarital counseling with, with couples, I have to go over what this means. Because you see, it's a rather big tragedy that uh, even the vows that are listed in our hymnal leave out the word forgive. Because love, Christian love, is forgiveness. That's a way... God has shown it to you. It's the way we show it in our marriages. It's the way we show it to anybody. So the church of the Colossians practice this love. So what about us here? What about us, the Lamb of God? If the Apostle were to write a letter to us today, to the churches of Seattle, how do we bear this love? We practice it by making known the forgiveness that is available to everyone. Making known the love that has come to you, to me, and is available for everyone. We make it known in who we are. And we gladly talk about it freely, no matter what gods choose to come against us. 
But this could not be done on our own. This faith, this love, is accompanied by hope. Paul talks about it in the way that he knows their faith that they have in Jesus Christ and the love that they have for their brothers and sisters because they are rooted in the hope that is laid up for them. Hope, this word that we can never escape. Hope is this word that sets us apart from all other religions, that makes us different from the Stoics who just kind of go through life hoping that someday things will just come to an end. Rather, we are people that have a hope that knows no end. We are people who have been promised a hope that has been certified by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That we have a hope that is certain, not false, not empty, but full of the grace of God. Paul even speaks about it. In Romans 8, when he describes that all of the world is waiting for this return, and he says, this is the hope that now saves us. The hope of Jesus Christ. Yesterday, I went to go work for a little bit of time up at the, the old regular coffee shop. And it was a busy day. So I asked to share a table with somebody next to me. And as I moved my laptop and all my things over, she was reading the paper. And a woman that I know from the coffee shop, she, she's generally somebody who's rather happy and always talking to everyone. But while reading the paper, she just turned to me and she said, the world today, I don't know what's going to happen. I couldn't blame her. A coup attempt in Turkey, another terror attack in France, the election coming up towards us. But yet here we are. Here we are as the people of God. Several times, even within the past hour, we've already raised our voices up in song and in praise. Because we know, we know that the gates of hell will never prevail upon Jesus Christ. We know that we are people who are not defeated. But rather, we have already been given victory in what Jesus has done. Here we are, gathered here, singing praises in the midst of terror, in the midst of hell, in the midst of things crumbling apart. Yet we know, we know with certainty, in faith, in love, and in hope that our God is good, that our God works good for all those who come to Him, and that we are people who will have no end. Even while we do stand over the grave of those that we have lost, we sing praise. Why? Because we know, we know the victory that has been given to us. And so, Lamb of God, we gather. Here we are together, singing praises, sending our youth down to New Orleans, 
to go and to learn more deeply about who our Lord is because we know for certain that the future holds faith, love, and hope for them. We spend our time together because we know for certain in faith, hope, and love that Jesus Christ has promised that His kingdom will go on past this time. Nations may fall, and they have, and they will. Loved ones may come and go, but we know for certain that those sainted in Christ live forever. And we know that whether it's this pulpit, the one down the street, or the one around the corner, the proclamation of the gospel will never end. Because we have hope. We have hope in Jesus Christ. And this is the hope that has saved us. It's a hope that saves you. It's a hope that speaks to you. When you look at your children who may not be remembering their baptism, but you know the Lord is not done with them. It's what speaks to you when you hold the hands of a loved one who is suffering because you know someone has already suffered for them. It's the hope that gathers us together as we say, praise to God. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Amen.